Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And as promised, it's post-mortem time from the Cricket World Cup. And our cricket expert, former Protea player, convener of selectors, and just a good guy, Omar Henry, joins us once again. Omar, thank you so much for your time and a very good day to you. Very good day to you, sir. Thanks a lot and pleasure speaking to you guys again. Right, Omar. So it's all over. We made it to the semi-finals. Our nemesis Australia beat us. Did we get as far as you expected? Well, I expected us to get into the semi-finals purely on the basis of our performances um, over the last three years, getting four of our batters in the top 10 rankings just before the World Cup. Our performance against Australia also just before the World Cup, a lot of character shown, etc., etc., so on the basis of that, facts and data and performances, I felt that the momentum is with us and it is a case of basically how are we going to cope with A, the conditions in Asia. Having said that, we also went there with a lot of players who played a lot of cricket in Asia and has done well in Asia. So that was a plus as well. However, there was the concern of playing the big moments that is required and then obviously the historical stuff that has sit with a South African team in World Cups. But I still gave them the benefit of the doubt. How do we shake that historical history of the World Cup? Because it just seems to rear its ugly head, even at times when it's not actually deserved. Well, to be quite honest with you, um, when you look at teams and um, what make good teams, then you find that there are mentally strong leaders, i.e. Alan Border or a Steve Waugh or a Ricky Ponting, right? So they are strong leaders. They lead from the front. They're not afraid. They take on issues head up, you know. They demand um, your best at all times. They never give up. Um, my question to our team is, do we have those characteristics within our team? And who are they? And have they got a history of pulling ourselves out of a situation where our backs is against the wall and they take it right to, through to the end, i.e. like a Trevor's head who at 24 for three went about his business and then he found a partner in and he went about his business and it was a case of we focus on formulating this partnership and we take it step by step through right to the end where we can smell the coffee and we know exactly that the game is won. We were challenged in those situations. We came second. We didn't win the game. Historical things are still sitting with us. So the big question here is, how good are we in learning 
from bad experiences. So it's a case of learning, unlearning, and relearning. How many times do we make the same mistake? It's going now for, what, four or five World Cups? Yeah, absolutely. So you look at the South African-Australia game, and I guess what you've just mentioned, the Travis Edmonds-Glubbeskakli partnership, is what we lacked in that game against Australia in the semi-final, which ultimately was our downfall. Even though David Miller did get a hundred, he just didn't seem to have anybody like a Lubbeskakli to bat around him. Is it a panic situation that we get into where we have to keep up with the run rate rather than concentrating on pushing the ball around? You know, a single off every ball is six and over, and that gets you to 300. And with our bowling attack, that should be good enough. Did we panic, do you think, in the semifinal? Well, you can, you can either define it as panic, or you can define it as confusion, not clear mindsets of what should that outcome be, what should that target be, and then how are we going to go about it, right? So in terms of unpacking that situation, we talk about two players at the crease, right? Now, they have to agree on a plan, on a strategy. Then they've got to create a structure, a system, how they're going to go about it. Now, amongst those three components, they lost themselves. And we didn't get to an outcome. They left 50-odd runs out there. From the time, Klaassen, Miller, right down to the rest, they left 30 runs out there that could have made the difference. Yeah, ultimately, as you say, those 30 runs would have made the difference. Now, Omar, from an outsider looking in, well, maybe not so much because you've been in all the situations except coaching the Proteus, where does the the decision sit with the captain, the coach, the two batsmen in the middle, ultimately, when we get into that situation where calm heads and perhaps running on with a pair of gloves to give some advice is needed, where should that be coming from? Well, it coming from development. That's where it starts. Then it goes on to nurturing that development. Then it comes down to creating the pathway for what A, the game demands and what the player still requires to become the best he or she can be in terms of what the game at the world stage requires. Now, we've been in this now for 30-odd years, and we still haven't found the right blueprint how to produce those players. So in that development program, we could find that our coaching structures is not effective. We could find that our playing structures are not correct. We could find that our selection structures are not Correct. Um, You could find that our governance of school cricket, of club cricket, of provincial cricket, of national cricket is flawed. You can find many things, right? The point is, one has to have a team that functions in the excellence bracket to be able to compete at an international level and be successful. You need a 
a board or an executive at provincial level, at um, national level that functions effectively, efficiently, and on an excellent level to be able to compete. Every country has got its challenges on how to be competitive on a consistent basis. It is who does it best. And right now, you can see Australia is standout. The way they went through this World Cup, they confronted enormous issues. They were on the edge of walking away on the plane. Yeah. And the guy got them out of jail on one leg or no legs. Yeah. So it says a lot about the individual's character. It says a lot about that country, right? You look at Trevor's head. He's, he went home. He joined yeah. later. Came back first game 100. Last game 100, you know? Yeah. If you unpack our players, then when they come to that level of competencies or competitiveness, we fell short. And I think, Omar, if we go back even further, I mean, let's look at what Australia were like when they were here in Cape Town at Newlands. Steve Smith loses the captaincy, the whole sandpaper gate issue. They then give an unknown Tim Payne the captaincy. He then kind of resurrects the team. He then gets fired for a sexting scandal. And the guy by the name of Pat Cummings comes along. Everybody turns around and says, no, a fast bowler can't captain a team. And look where they are from that Newlands Test match to where they are right now. World Test Championship victors, Ashes Series winners, albeit two or draw, and World Cup champions. I mean, from really being in the depths of despair with players crying on interviews and the whole of Australia up in arms against them. They've overcome unbelievable odds, including, as you say, losing the first two matches and Maxwell hobbling around, scoring a double hundred, get them to the situation that they were in and played by far the best cricket at times when it was most needed. Well, you can add on to that. If anyone asked anyone who fought the World Cup, who is the best player for Australia, they would have said Steve Smith. Yep. He came out the worst performance of all the batters. He's got the worst performance. And they won it. Right? Yeah. There was a guy called Libeskatni who was question marked whether he would make the World Cup team. He made the World Cup team. Head went away. When he came back, people were talking the axe was going to fall on Libeskatni again. No, he didn't. He fought. Yeah. He played in the final and he played a significant role in the final, winning that final. Significant role. So the development. Right? And I keep saying that talent is 20%. The 80%, that is where we come short. And it is the mental side of things. When it becomes ruthless, brutal, resilient, determination, and never say die attitude. Is there a problem with our ruthlessness in terms of making difficult decisions? And I'm bringing up the captain now. 
because under any circumstances, anybody who was not captaining their country, who had the form and the injury-plagued World Cup that Temba Bavuma had, would never have played in the semi-final, let alone in the final. Did we not have the you-know-what to say, sorry, Temba, for the betterment of the team, your form is poor. Unfortunately, that's life. We need to put somebody else in, even if they had to use his injury as an excuse for not playing him and not saying that he was dropped. Because we've had this problem before with Vernon Philander. Well, there's a step before that. A, Temba didn't make himself captain, all right? Yeah. So the coach, who is now the sole selector, the sole selector, right? He justifies in his interview that the reason why Bofuma played was what he contributed to the team to get to the World Cup. All right? Yeah. So that he put in perspective, got them into the World Cup. Not once did he mention his performances in the first four games. Which were poor. Not once. So you can tell me stories, right? If cricket is a performance game, which they all say, they all say that. It's a performance sport. You perform. Now, you told me the story that he contributed. Nobody argues about that. Now, we come to a new project. The World Cup is another project. So now you've got to act. You've got to perform. You've given the batsman four chances to perform. He didn't. In that meantime, there was somebody else who performed. Yeah. Right? I won't look at Bavuma. I will look at the coach. Because there you, are other players. You, the sole selector, right? I'm sorry, your justification doesn't make sense in terms of the outcome of the World Cup. It doesn't make sense. You contradict yourself. And I guess if you look back in history, the the managers stroke coaches of the greatest teams in the world have had to make the most difficult decisions for the benefit of the team. And perhaps this is you, where you, our coach is fallen short. Well, he, he definitely fallen short. You can go through that entire World Cup. He has showed some flaws and weaknesses. And it will be interesting to see how that the report looks like. Unfortunately, we haven't seen the previous coach report of the T20 that we lost, which similar things happened during this World Cup. We haven't seen that report yet, so I'm not sure whether we're going to see this report either. So let's look at the tournament as a whole, if we can, and look at the performance of India. Um, I know Australia played the best cricket at the most crucial times, but I think we've got to give a lot of credit for that Indian team. They played some spectacular cricket, and I guess the home fans, as disappointed as they might have been at the end of the final, can only have praise for the way their team played and performed. Look, they also left runs out there for whatever reason. You know, it showed. Um, so they will reflect on that, why they didn't win it. However, they had opposition there that was resilient, that was determined, that never gave up. 
you know, and at times they were very brave in terms of managing very tricky situations and they backed themselves. And that's quality, the qualities of real champions, real champions. I mean, for for Trevor's head to take on Shami, Muhammad Shami, right? Yeah. I mean, that is brave, you know. So immediately, India is under enormous pressure because their best bowler has just been taken apart. And the way he, he structured that innings, you know, when to take a risk, and at times, you've got to give him credit, you know, it was a little bit of luck somewhere, but you need luck. At other times, he it was calculated risk, and he knows exactly when and how. Um, and the partnership will be remembered for a very, very long time. And also a couple of old guys throwing themselves around in the field. I mean, the likes of David Warner and Travis Head himself taking that magnificent catch that really revved the, the Australians up. What for me, though, was key, key turning points in the game was how Labuskakli and Head went about rebuilding the innings when they were three wickets down and 134,000 people screaming and shouting and yelling as if the World Cup had already been won. They came out into a cauldron that I guess nobody but them can ever describe because of the size of the crowd and the occasion. Do well, we lack that, that BMT? I mean, they look here. It was basically two players, two people against a hundred and 20,000 in that stadium supporting India. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Now, how strong do you, should you be or just to be able to cope with that and then to be able to think clearly and stay focused and disciplined and determined to win that game? It's huge. We will never understand that. Never. Only those two players will know exactly what they went through that entire period. Now, for South Africa, against Australia, we didn't have that environment of that 120,000 people. However, we were confronted with the situations of our backs against the wall. We had opportunities to create partnerships. And we kept on losing another player, another player, another player, another player. And those are the things that needs to be installed at grassroots. At grassroots. Yeah. You know, there's a price on your wicket. Partnerships is non-negotiable. Bowling in tandem is non-negotiable. Whether you play second fiddle has got nothing to do with your ego. It is all for the game. In four years' time, the Cricket World Cup's going to be hosted in South Africa. I think we've seen how difficult it is for a home team to win a Cricket World Cup. What do we do now? We've got four years to get us into a situation whereby we are going to be under even more pressure than we were in India by being at home, playing the Cricket World Cup at home. I guess there's going to be no Temba Bavuma, a couple of other players I can think of that might not be there, four or five. Quinton de Kock, we know for sure, is not going to be there. Um, we know there's a Dierwald Brevis in the wings, a Tristan Stubbs in the wings. What do we do now going forward? Do we find a group of 25 or 23 players, um, 
capable of winning us a World Cup in four years' time? Or do you think the way South African cricket has been over the years is we're going to stick with the tried and tested who actually aren't tried and tested, let's be perfectly honest, because they haven't brought the glory home for us, uh, going forward and wanting to win little one-day competitions here and there and play T20 cricket and so on. What is the solution if there is one? Well, we had a World Cup, right, in our country. We didn't qualify at all. We missed out, right? We misread. Two senior players misread a Duckworth Lewis, right? So that right. is a huge question mark. Our first game, the opening game against West Indies, we didn't turn up at Newlands. No. Chris we were shell shocked, right? Yep. We froze. So both those two incidents refers to the mental state. If you go into any other World Cup where we lost in the semifinals, it will give you that common denominator, mental state, pleasurized situation, right? And then we, there's no clear thinking, right? Then there's another issue that stuck its neck out now during this World Cup, that we are not very good chasers. Now, I, I don't understand that doesn't make sense to me, you know, um, that it is not being addressed long time ago and it's not been identified long time ago because at the end of the day, you've got no control. A, over the toss, whether you're going to bat first or bowl first. And secondly, the conditions, whether you win the toss or lose the toss, contributes to what your decision has be made. So you've played 10 years of professional cricket. You want to tell me you've never chased before and you haven't learned from your mistakes when you chased and improved on that. I hear you and you, you're so right. But then we've chased down arguably one of our highest cricket scores ever in that game against Australia at the Wanderers and others that we've been able to chase down. Is it in the players' heads? Is the media to blame? Because South African fans and the media get into the heads of the South African cricketers and use this word of choking, which I hated from day one when it was used, um, because people only remember the games we lose. They don't remember the great performances that the team puts up in winning, I mean, if we were a team of chokers, we would never have come from 2-0 down against Australia to win a Series 3-2. We did the same against England. We've done it before. Is it a case of, and I don't know if it happened this time, but I know in previous times, the team have gone up into the mountains somewhere and they've had a coach who's looked after their mental situation. If I'm not mistaken, Gary Kirsten was one of the guys that in initiated that procedure for the guys to go and get mentally fit fed a word have we missed that again have we just been too brash to say well we've got all these players that could play in india they can all get hundreds and we'll be fine when you ignore the truth and the facts and you focus on storytelling well we can keep telling stories and we'll see what, yeah. what the end result is going to be as simple as that if we're reluctant we talk about embracing change. I'm not sure whether we understand what that means. We talk about maturity. We say our players showed maturity. No, they didn't show maturity. The facts is there. 
if they were mature, they would have embraced that challenge that was confronted with each one that went in after 24, 43, or 4, whatever it was. Yeah. We didn't. So you can go through every World Cup and take these incidents out, right? So maturity becomes a conversation that needs to take place. Emotional intelligence becomes a conversation that needs to take place. Where does the process start and where do you really get the player to be able to act like a professional? How do we give contracts to players? The devil lies in those details. Is the tail wagging the dog, if I may use that, by the fact that it seems as though the players have more power than they deserve? It could be. It has been before, um, but there were strong panels of selectors or chairmen of selectors or coaches or presidents who addressed that and confronted with that and removed that, right? Maybe stuck its neck out again and the hierarchy that's involved is not a competent enough to address it um, and therefore they can rule, right? Now, player, the players are an important aspect of the game, right? Quality players is what you require. Now we've got to define what do we mean by quality? Does it give the player the power if he's quality? The quality that we define, does it give him that power to just do whatever he wants? Or does he operate within a parameter of what the game demands, of what our values are, our norms are as South Africans? This is how we play cricket. This is how we deal with conflict. This is how we behave. This is how we respect one another. This is how we govern our place, our organization. This is how our team operates, etc., etc. This is how we nurture our talent. Are all those things aligned? Are they in synergy with one another? I'm not sure. Because these things keep happening. Yeah, I fully agree. But you know what? It's great in a way because it gives us an opportunity to talk about it. And hopefully somebody's listening that might have a bit of influence to try and remedy the situation. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Omar. All the best for the festive season going into 2024. Hopefully the golf game gets a little bit better and you get some time to play more and more. And uh, we can be spectators. Thank you so much, Omar. Thank you, buddy, man. You keep well. All the best. Lovely stuff. That's Bye. tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. It's always a pleasure talking to Omar Henry. Wise words. And I know he doesn't want to get back in there, but I guess if maybe somebody just gives him a bit of a nudge, maybe he'll come back and help us out. That's tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Be nice to each other. Until next time. Bye for now.